You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 213, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. Dave Algren of Chicago noise pop outfit Gentle Heat is my guest on this edition of Look at My Records. The project just released their second full-length sheer a towering record that sits sweetly between the distorted haze of shoegaze and the saccharine melodies of noise-leaning indie pop. With new member Sarah Clausen joining the band on keys, the group's songwriting features poppier elements to counteract their guitar fuzz, including gorgeous vocal harmonies that remain constant across the album's nine tracks. During our interview... Algram and I chatted all about the album's pop influences and more, including how Gentle Heat has persisted through several lineup changes since forming in the late 2010s, Algram's background playing in a Milwaukee-based hardcore band, the dynamics of Gentle Heat's live shows, and more. Plus, Dave picked some awesome records from my collection, including choice cuts from Poppies, my Bloody Valentine, N Attendant Anna, and more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Dave Algrim of... Chicago's Gentle Heat. We're going to talk all about their new album, Sheer. It's their second full length that's out now via Flesh and Bones. Bone. Just one Singular bone. bone. Just one. Singular bone. Just a bone. <laughs> um, how are you, Dave? I'm good. Great to chat with you. Yeah, you too. How are you, Tom? Doing, doing well. Better now that I'm talking to you. I can't wait to talk about Sheer as well. Second full length for the band. But before we get into that, you know, I love talking to artists and musicians from other cities. We were talking beforehand. I live in Jersey City, so I'm basically from New York City. Great music scene here. Chicago also has an awesome music scene. And it seems like, especially with this project, you've been involved in the Chicago music scene for a little bit here. So... How'd you start getting involved in music in Chicago? And were you in prior projects to Gentle Heat? Yeah, so I am from Wisconsin originally. I played in bands uh, a lot when I was younger in like my early 20s. I played in a punk band called Scowler that used to tour a lot. Um, but I used to come down to Chicago a lot before I'd actually lived here. Obviously, it's the largest city that's in the most immediate vicinity of yeah. Milwaukee. Um, but yeah, Milwaukee also is really cool enough to say that like big city is the only thing that dictate value yeah. in terms of places to be. But um, yeah, so I started coming down and then my sister actually lived in Chicago first. And I just kind of wanted to try something new after that band had broken up. Uh, and I had worked in breweries for a long time and kind of done Milwaukee and uh, for about like just under seven years. I just kind of wanted to get out and go into a larger city. So it's been cool. Chicago is great. There's a lot um, going on here. Obviously, it takes a minute to, especially coming from a small city, going into a bigger city, kind of acclimate to um, the way that things operate in Chicago. But it's uh it's one of those things where after you're here for a while, it's very easy to kind of get to know people who are all playing music, regardless of um, what scene you're in. But yeah. Cool. So that band that you were in, in when you were living in Wisconsin, you did a lot of touring with them. What were your 
touring experiences like? It seems like you've been on the road. Yeah. So that was uh, like a, a louder punk band, for lack of a more nuanced term. I think we called ourselves a non-denominational hardcore band, if you're looking for a specific descriptor. Great but, descriptor. Um, I love I a so good fucking <laughs> unique descriptor that I've never heard before. I'm going to try yeah. to reuse that immediately to describe something. So thanks. It, it's nice. It's, it's uh, one, very much not my title, but two, uh, <laughs> someone else in the project definitely came up with that one. But uh, it was just a nice way to say it's a hardcore band without having some of the, uh, ideally some of the stereotypes of what that means. But yeah. um, so that was a band that toured a lot, but it was a lot of DIY touring um, and uh, we did a, I don't know if you remember a band called Old Grey. We toured with them for yeah. a month um, and did like the outline of the country when I was like 22. And I'm 29 now, turning 30 in June. So it was a while ago, but uh, yeah, I, that band did a lot of like DIY touring. Um, not wasn't really particularly interested in doing any sort of press or venue, like anything like that was outside of our really concern or care and also probably outside of theirs as well. But, um, yeah. Uh, so did that one a lot. And also like I play in a bunch of bands in Chicago or in a couple of bands, I should say in Chicago, Joe, our guitar player also plays in bands around here. Like it's one of those things where realistically like, um, you kind of meet people through playing more and engaging more with other people's projects as well. It's a nice way to like kind of branch out and meet a lot of people. But Cool. So tell me a little bit about how you got from there playing in a hardcore band, which is something that's really different sounding than Gentle Heat. Did you find your taste changing or what was inspiring you changing? Yeah, I think that band had really had its the wheels kind of fall off. It very much it wasn't necessarily that it was like such a horrible breakup. I still love and talk to all of the people who were in that project. Um, actually, one of them was getting married next year, and we're all gonna be in the same place, which is fun. But yeah, um, you gotta play at the wedding. Absolutely not. That, we've had that <laughs> we've had that discussion, uh, and I very seriously shoot it down. But. Uh, <laughs> um, how did I get from there to here? Uh, I, at the end of that band, uh, wanted to play with different sounds. It's, I mean, that's kind of a, a cliche in a specific like typecast genre, like heavy music, hardcore, etc. Like I was getting really into grouper um, and was kind of navigating. I have always liked when you see a live performance and you can it's not just like a cut and dry version of the record itself. Yeah. I think it's boring to look at. Um, I talk about that a lot in the other band that I play in, but um, it is one of those things where like I, it's one of the nice things about coming from that background in particular of like DIY shows and like generally hardcore music is like, it's partially about volume, but it's not necessarily about like, volume is like uh who has the biggest amp it's there's like a certain energy that comes with it yeah. that i think part of the reason why i landed on this lane in general of guitar oriented kind of shoegazy whatever you want to call it um is that one i really do um i like pop music i like to sing yeah. i think it's like a fun thing but also coming from that kind of background, it meets in the middle of those two specific circumstances where I'd kind of fallen out of love with this specific, like hardcore lane of things. and wanted to do something that was more, um, dynamic that I had a lot more space to consciously write songs, um, in a way that was more like had more things to for me to do in particular songwriting wise does that make sense totally and it's so interesting that you mentioned that you like pop music and elements of pop music because you could definitely hear it on this record the way it kind mm -hmm. of peeks through through the like waves of oceans of guitars 
and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I I would love to say I'm a patient person and I try, but there's a certain point where uh, I feel like part of it is like I both really want the immediate pleasure of listening to a thing at the same time as I want something that's um, more dense and more interesting than just like a really cut and dry pop record. Like I don't really want to do either one of those two things. Having something that's like really – I like that it's a little bit messy. I think that's kind of part of Gentle Heat Sound in particular is this, not necessarily that it's just like a congealed blob, but it's meant to be a little bit messy. We don't really have, like everybody has their own even frequency where things sit. Um, The guitars kind of sit in like the high mid frequency a lot of the time. Um, We both alternate between doing more lead, more um, rhythmic work. Same thing with Sarah playing keys. We all kind of, alternate and wear different hats and make different like ambient sounds and it's meant to kind of be a bit more um it's not meant to be just sound music it's not meant to be just pop music it's kind of meant to be somewhere between those two things yeah it really meets at the intersection of those two things that's mm-hmm. really what i was thinking of when i was listening to the records it's so funny that uh you say that i do want to talk about the origins of this project specifically how it started, and then also why it's continued. Because I know you've had multiple lineup changes. So why mm-hmm. did you want to continue Gentle Heat instead of maybe starting a different project? That's a good question. Um, honestly, part of it, I was interested in renaming the project for a while, was a thing, and uh, was voted down by everybody else in the project, liked the name and the title and um the, I mean, that's it, just the name itself kind of stuck. But it started when I moved from Milwaukee to Chicago. Um, me and my friend Eli, um, uh, he does a bunch of really cool, weird, like, uh, more, like, ambient and experimental music. I would say experimental-leaning music. Um, he has a project called Honeymooners that is thing, but it's, was me, him, my friend Corey, and then uh, Tim Mack, who's the only person who's still in the band. But um, when I moved, we kind of had this thing where I really loved playing with Eli. He really did a lot of the things that I wanted to, specifically like the beginning of, I think a lot of guitar music, at least for me, is engaging with one person and then everybody kind of broadly comes in after we have somewhat of like an idea formed and I really liked working with Eli a lot but after a while we kind of came to um, it's really really hard to do long distance for music in a way that we even though Milwaukee isn't that far from Chicago like to rehearse once it took two hours in each direction to drive so um, after a couple of years and also like it's hard to get something going when you literally don't live in the same states so we had that first full length that we'd released that we weren't really if we were playing shows we'd rehearse for that show and it was less like we weren't really able to build up any sort of steam or continuity with the project on our end so eventually came to the conclusion that i wanted to have it all in one place so started working with joe who I actually met in the first week that I moved to Chicago because he and I worked at this uh, coffee shop and just kind of fluke circumstances ran into each other. But, um, and yeah, we've never really had, we've had the discussion about changing the name because it's hard. I think at this point we've had about somewhere between six and seven basis, depending on how you're counting. (laughs) Uh, But it's weird to have a lack of continuity in terms of members and call it the same projects. But essentially what it has come to mean to a certain extent is that it's like my songwriting with a different group of people is totally the basic outline of what gentle heat is. Uh, but also I would say with it in general, like from the first record to this one, even though they're drastically different, I would say they're somewhat similar in terms of the style and the like 
the vibe and aesthetic. I think this is a much more realized version of what we wanted to do and Joe's contribution and Sarah's contribution and uh, like Leon on the record, Ken now playing bass. But um, yeah, it's coming to a specific thing where I kind of know what I want to do with it, um, what I want the sounds to be, what I don't like. Um, it's just a more realized version of what I want to do with this project. Totally, totally, totally. Because in listening to the first record and the EP, they're both great, but everything really seems to be clicking with this record. It does feel like a really full, well-put-together record. So how would you say that the chemistry of this current iteration of Channel Heat has differed from previous lineups? Um, I think realistically, like being that, again, the way that I kind of write music for a project is there's usually one person who I kind of collaborate with bouncing off. So it was like me and Joe, and we'd already worked together for, um, Lim, I'm sorry, for the phase EP. And this is kind of the more realized version of that. So we went from like a kind of a small test run. Phase was kind of an experiment in making one cohesive small piece. We didn't want to feel like this is song, song ends, next song begins. We wanted to weave like however much music, I think it was like eight minutes together. But um, this is, at least in my mind, an extension of trying to weave together or something so it doesn't feel like it's just one, 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 one. Like we really want it to be a big cohesive thing in the first place. And Joe is really good um, at filling in the gaps. He's a remarkably talented musician. Just uh, He went to school for like jazz trumpet. And it's just like a, he's great. I, we, I feel very uh, fortunate to play with the people that I do. Like they're all very technically proficient musicians. But um, yeah, it was very much like we had this, initial idea of being able to kind of weave together a full piece. And then oddly enough, when the pandemic hit, uh, it was kind of nice to be able to have more time to just focus on it alone and flesh out the details. So we had it probably about halfway done, I think at the beginning of the pandemic. And then a lot of it, I had kind of taken more of a conscious role of like, okay, so I have these things demoed out because we can't really get together in a way that this makes sense, this way makes sense, this makes sense. And for all the sound work in particular, it makes it a lot easier. That's not really as much of a team sport, figuring out like where all those uh, sounds are going to come in, what the dynamics are going to be, et cetera. But yeah. Yeah, and I was also reading, it was either on the Flesh and Bone site or the hideouts website for, I guess, for a show you were playing in Chicago. There's there's something mentioning that the addition of Sarah Clausen has enabled the project to dive deeper into the ambient aspects of their sound. So I was just curious, what kind of contributions did she bring to this record that maybe weren't there when you were writing and recording Dissolve or Liminal? Yeah, so Sarah joined about halfway through the recording process. Um, and she has a background in playing like a lot of experimental jazz and um, has been making a lot of like uh, non-traditionally structured music and is very good with playing with synth and keyboards and like is an Ableton wizard in a way that I just am not. Um, so having her, we had a lot of the backbone of the keys done, but there were a lot of things that she did that are really, really cool textural things that I would not be able to make on my own that she um, brought in that I thought uh, were a significant contribution to the sound in general because they are things that I would not be able to do. So her stamp is very much on the record in that way as well. But yeah, she's great. She came in and essentially like sang on the record with like, I hadn't really hung out with her a ton. She knew, I knew her through Joe, who was our guitarist, obviously. But um, yeah, she filled a lot of the gaps that were things. Also, she just has 
the right background in terms of like she listens to a lot of this music she understands a lot of the like sound and rock and music and kind of understands where those things sit in a way that's very useful to the process of like songwriting and making it come to fruition totally and as we were talking about those poppier elements earlier her singing on the record her contributions to the harmonies with you is definitely something that is not heard as much on the EP and the the first record. Mm -hmm. So you definitely work it in a lot on this album while still maintaining that darker guitar sound. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, a lot of harmonies on basically all of the tracks. So kind of working in that sort of, you know, those harmonies and those elements of pop music like that. What do you think influenced that? And what do you think, what do you attribute to you wanting to incorporate that more on this album compared to prior songs that you've written? Good question. Uh, when I was younger, I was in choir. So I was like to nice. sing a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I have always tried to add these kind of elements of having somebody else singing. On Dissolve, the first record, Corey was doing some of the, like, like a Matt Sharp and Weezer kind of thing, where yeah. it's like these very falsetto-y things, but it's not really like his voice um, in a way. Um, but having somebody who it's very much their voice, it's kind of their sound. Um, we've played with that a little bit on Phase when Margaret was in the band, where she was able to do a lot of the choral things. Um specifically like harmony wise where it's all in her range. It's not really like a, for lack of a better term, like a falsetto almost like put on kind of thing. And having Sarah specifically filling in those gaps, I think for me, um, did something that we've always been trying to do, but haven't really had the right people to do it. And yeah, yeah. So that th- so that's really something that you had in mind as like a conscious thing that you you've wanted to do on this record. Not really something that kind of just happened experimenting with the songs or in the studio. No, because we. I mean, they're always. I I wouldn't say I'm. Hmm, how to put it? I have everything to a certain extent fleshed out before we go into the studio. We don't really come in with like, okay, so we have like 80% of these songs. By the time we get there, 100% of it's mapped out. So it's much more like, these are the things that I want to do in particular with this project or with these songs. And then we're able to do them in the studio. It's not like, I've heard other people talk about like writing songs or like, writing lyrics and just like not really having like 20% of the lyrics when they go into the studio in a way that just like is not how I operate. I very much am like a little bit more militant in terms of organization where I kind of come in with everything fleshed out in a way that there are some moving pieces in terms of the sound stuff, but having everything mapped out kind of allows for you to have more time to play with the sound work, a lot more of the like other non like consciously structured things in a way it leaves more room to play with like sounds in general. If you have the basics of the backbone of the song figured out where you're not guessing at what's going to fall where. And the way, as I mentioned that those kind of elements interact, the heavier guitars, kind of the pummeling mm-hmm. drums, and then these poppier vocals, these really nice sounding harmonies, you know, there's definitely a sharp dichotomy between the two. I'm just wondering, was there anything more to that as far as just the way it sound sounds or were you trying to convey anything else to that i know i talked to a lot of people where they are conscious of that interaction of light and dark sonically and how it kind of plays into the lyrics too or was that just something where hey i like the way this sounds um i would say it's a little bit of both one of the things um So I definitely know where everything is going to sit vocally at very least when we go in. Um, We 
weekend are like we have everything demoed out. We have everything kind of punched in for where we know where it is. The other kind of moving piece in that in general is um, with the person that we're working with, I try and fit it to them. So it's less so that like, like there are certain things that work with Margaret's voice that don't with Sarah's. And there are certain elements of Sarah's voice that work better than like Margaret's or somebody else's. Like we try and work within the context of who is performing it. So it's the best version of what they do and what their voice is rather than like try and convince them to do something that we were doing beforehand or whatever. Like, uh, I have ideas for harmonies going in for the, any like vocal aspect, but if it doesn't fit within their range or if it's something that sounds like weird or out of place, then we usually just scrap it because we try and have everybody. It's the same thing for like, if there is, we're working with a bassist who has a specific style, like, Broadly speaking, like, we have the parts down. However, if there's something that's their specific thing that is, like, their style that they can add, I would rather do that than just have it as, like, a carbon copy cutout, play these notes. So with the harmonies in mind, there are certain things where, like, Sarah has, I would say like an alto's range. So really forcing her voice to go beyond her comfort zone is like, doesn't help. And also she has such a cool effect on her voice in the first place that I don't really want to fuss with it too much. But there's something about the delivery that also affects the actual notes and what fits within the delivery and the style of the thing. Yeah, definitely. Closer to... Mm-hmm. One of my favorite songs on the record, and it features contributions from Margaret McCarthy mm-hmm. of Moon Type. Great, great band. Mm-hmm. How'd she come into the fold on that track, and what was the process of putting that song together with her? Um, She came in pretty last minute. I had been working on it. It was a song that I had bought. If you know what an organelle is, it's like this little, not little, but it's like a... a synth with like wooden pieces on it it feels like a toy it's a thing that has like really you can get a ton of sounds out of it but um i was trying to do something that moved away from more of the like okay i come in with guitar part and then we work with other guitar part and like i have vocals and lyrics figured out usually by the time we start working with anybody else um so i was trying to move away from a little bit more of that process on my end and um, it was one of the ones that I had figured out pretty early on during the pandemic when I had more time to just kind of be in at that point we had a like a recording studio in the apartment um, and could flesh that out but I was writing it and kind of started thinking excuse me thinking about it with Margaret's voice in mind because she had played with us before on the phase EP um, she had played bass and sang with us before, so it wasn't really as much of like uh, a thing where I don't really know Margaret, but I'm going to see. Like, Margaret's very great. She's approachable. She's nice. We've hung out outside of this. Uh, and she just said, yeah, sure, I'll do it, and then did. But there isn't very magic to that process. It was just, hey, what are you up to? Nothing. You want to come over and record? Great. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, I think we rehearsed like twice before going into it but yeah very unformal i would say those are always the most beautiful collaborations the easy ones the easy (laughs) easy ones yeah so closer and closer to are Mm -hmm. connected by name but they also seem to be structured quite similarly they both start out kind of sparse and quiet and then really blow up about halfway through each song's mm-hmm. runtime. Do you see those two songs as related? Uh, how, and if so, how do you see them as related? Yeah, I mean, the reason I have them as closer one and closer two is one in terms of where they are on the record. It feels like they're like two pillars. One starts, one's close to the end. But the other thing is essentially, like thematically, they're fairly similar. The idea is about like 
uh, closer. I had written with the idea in mind that uh, it's kind of about when you are in a public space and you no longer want to be in a public space of some yeah. sort. And then you kind of have to like persevere if you're doing whatever, like whether it be work or social situation or what have you. But there's a very real conclusion where it goes beyond like, I can continue doing this too. I can no longer do this. And I need like time to just kind of disappear and do whatever I need to do outside of anyone else. Um, but it's like, a, I would say they both are about needing that sort of space outside of anything else. Uh, somebody in our band has a thing where they need to have explicitly like an alone day. They have it ex like marked on their calendar every week where they have one day where they're just without people in general. Um, and that's not to say that we're a bunch of like recluses who don't like we live in a city. We see people all day long. However, there's a real end to when you need to be in a public environment and there needs to be a certain amount of space that you give to yourself to kind of do what you need to do and be outside of like uh, public space. But Total Orbit's also loosely of that like theme. But I would say those two, as you pointed out, sound similar, are kind of like structured similarly where they're meant to be a bit more sparse and have a similar uh, like topic, I guess. Speaking of Total total Orbit, great mm -hmm. song. It's the album's lead single. Tell us a little bit about that one. Yeah, I it was one of the ones that we had written fairly early on. Um, Joe has a really great line on there, but it um, it's one of those things that's, we're talking about pop music, but it's meant to be a bit more immediate. Um, it's funny because it doesn't have like a t traditional like vocal led um, uh, chorusy kind of thing. The guitar part is very much the chorus of the thing. Um, I know that we're a like shoegazy band, but it's very much structured like only shallow. That like the My Bloody Valentine, Melly Valentine song, yeah. yeah. But. Uh, I kind of figured that out afterwards and like having to kind of flesh this out and talking with other people of like, I think I had written something along the lines of like, yeah, it's like the guitar is the chorus. I'm like, is there somebody else who did that? Yeah, it's that song. Uh huh. <laughs> that for sure I ripped off that structure. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's really meant to be like a very simple, very digestible pop song. The chords are really, really simple throughout the whole thing but um, it changes phases throughout in a way that realistically you go between loud guitar to this very like pop oriented hook that's not technically the chorus um, but yeah it's meant to be like a really really simply structured song that has things that are very subtly moving throughout so the chords don't really change very much but you have the guitar line takes the lead sometimes. Sometimes it's the vocal lines. Like, it's just a simple thing where everybody kind of changes hands. Something that I was curious about, too, that you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about your former band, which mm -hmm. was a hardcore band, was that you were interested in basically, you know, working on music or writing music that, you know, you didn't have to or, you know, wasn't necessary to exactly replicate in the live setting mm -hmm. so with respect to gentle heat then what what are the live shows for this band like and how would you say they differ and maybe just elaborate a little more on what you meant as far as do you find yourself mm -hmm. improvising a little more in the live setting with this music yeah, so we do a bit more both in the transitions between the songs and also I think Joe has a lot more space where there are certain times that he's written leads that either he takes something that's a bit more adventurous with his guitar playing on in the live performance or uh, for me it's a lot of like just vocal improvisation that's not necessarily like completely different from the record but it's just not note for note the exact same thing. Um, Sarah does a lot of live, like ambient 
we try and still weave together the live sets in a way that's structured similarly to the record. But we kind of give and take in a different way with the live set in mind, who's making sound where, who needs to tune and do something like that. We have certain things to adhere to in the live set that we don't in the recording studio. So um, we try and have it consciously structured in a way where there's always noise. The one thing I hate more than anything else uh, in a live show is for there to be something that's like really like an all consuming thing, like a really moving song. And then you hear someone's comedy routine for two minutes just makes me mad in ways that I don't even, uh, it's hard to say out loud. There's, I don't really like doing banter. If you see our live sets, I don't really do it unless it's absolutely essential. Um, but uh, the live set is essentially structured differently from the recorded material. One, because we have to tune in a live setting in a way that dictates a lot more of who needs to take breaks. But also, um, Joe improvises a lot on guitar. Uh, Sarah has a lot of like sound elements that we kind of structure. One of the things that we're coming to now, because we're touring and we're trying to have a couple of different sets figured out so that we still have like, we still know where people are taking breaks, but being that we have the structures a little bit more consciously plotted out in terms of where people are taking breaks, we can't really just say like, okay, we're going to play this order tonight doesn't really work in the same way. We have to take a bit more time to figure out like where things are going to take a break, who's going to take a break, when, who's going to take over the sound work in between. Yeah, because you're tr- you're the record flows as one cohesive piece, song to song, and so you definitely want to do that in the live setting too. So that's interesting, the planning that goes into mm-hmm. that. Yeah, there's a lot more planning with regard to who gets to take breaks and when and. Uh, we honestly don't really switch up sets very often. I would prefer not to, but uh, not would prefer not Keep to. Keep it but simple, yeah. <laughs> I, I think once we have something mapped out for a tour in general, I don't think it's really, especially for this music, like that valuable to change up the whole set. However, there are some pieces that kind of come and go that if we want to either just shake up the sex or playing the same thing for like two weeks, or because there are, we have two new songs that we've been working on since the record has been put out. So we are trying to potentially add those in there. And if we want to do something else, like uh, we've talked about doing a cover in a way that uh, we haven't really done before, is uh, especially in DIY, I feel like that was a big faux pas of covering a thing. Uh, I would never have done it. But now there are certain things like, okay, I think it would be fun if we did it within the right context. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Always a good, always time for a good. It's not like we're playing, uh, like, I don't know. I will follow you in the dark or like an acoustic rock ballad or something (laughs) like that. It's like it, I don't know. We've, we've had a couple of things within the, lane of this project or something that would be fun to interpret through the lane of this project but yeah totally all right let's play some songs from this excellent new album as i mentioned it's called sheer and it's out now via flesh and bone records we're gonna hear the first three tracks closer total orbit And it is, and then we're going to skip ahead to track seven, Closer to, a song that we just chatted about a little earlier. Oh, wrong beyond right. 
All right, everyone, we just heard four songs from Gentle Heat's awesome new record, Sheer. We heard the first three tracks, Closer, Total Orbit, and It Is, and then we heard Closer 2 as well. You can get the album at gentleheat.bandcamp.com, or if you'd like a vinyl copy, you can head to fleshandbonerecords.com. It's also available on all streaming platforms. All right, so now, Dave, you picked some records from my record collection, and we're going to talk about them. Starting with a great 7-inch single that I recently purchased, Fluorescences by Stereo it's so Lab. good. I'm working this one into my DJ oh, set, yeah. so good selection. Yeah, yeah I... The like when this record came out, it's between Dawson Loops and Emperor Tomato Ketchup, and it's one of those things where like they're that band is so good in between those phrases. Their output in general is just psychotic. They were putting out like a record every year, including like which after doing this for a while, when you think of like okay, so you're dealing with the writing process, the collaborative process, like once that happens, getting to the recording studio, getting to the mixing, mastering, press release, what have you, all that happening every year, that's crazy. That's like a psychotic thing to imagine by today's standard. But yeah, that band is awesome. Big fan. band i'm also a big fan of a great brooklyn band i'm not sure if they're active anymore because the front person may rio has started to release some great solo records but this was one of my favorite area bands of like the last six or seven years so good selection mm-hmm. poppies the song dog years off of good Tell me a little bit about why you picked this one. Uh, it's a good band. They're kind of, I want to say it's slept on, but especially like, I think they toured once out to like our general yeah. area. They weren't like, um, it didn't really seem like they ever really caught like major steam behind this project. But that record, Bed Music, is really great. Um, good is cool because it seems like a project that has like a couple of drastically different ideas on it where you have like dynamo and dog ears very much feel like they have a very specific like cool but like that like driving drums kind of feel behind it and then you have the rest of the tracks that are also cool but very different sonically that feel more like there's like an acoustic e almost like a ukulele sounding song in there i forget what it's called offhand but um yeah, Good is really cool because you kind of get to see a band that's kind of figuring out its sound. And then Bed Music is like a a very cool pop record that has, it's not really the instrumentation is so crazy or that it's like really sound, like sound obsessed and like the like sparse noises that happen or ambient sounds that happen between it, but there's like a bunch of really cool specific sounds for this record. It feels very tactfully put together. kids beg to differ off of denton after sunset this band a predecessor to parquet courts Mm -hmm. so cool yeah i love this record too it's one of those things where realistically um they're completely different projects you can kind of see where they were going into parquet courts afterwards but like back to differ is really cool because it's a weird long like uh, like kind of Texas meets college rock anthem, like very 
big guitars were part of it, very like sparse, whatever. But uh, the songwriting is really cool. Um, you can kind of, they do a bunch of different things on this record too. Um, but yeah, where they do like the more punky like side of that project and also a lot more of the consciously structured, like very tight three minute songwriting. But yeah. just obsessed with this dude and his gorgeous psych pop tunes especially this album chris cohen's self-titled record the song green eyes yeah i saw him at the hideout like three years ago and just he's a really really talented musician his band kills it's like a really really great tight version of uh a live band it's not loud it's like very much cut and dry in terms of where like what every instrument is doing but it's just so well done it's just uh it's great to see that people are doing that kind of like very well well written pop music and it's so catchy it's great that's what they say you should get Now a band that you spoke of a little earlier, My Bloody Valentine, I Can See It, off of Isn't Anything, and to finish that dot, 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 but I can't feel it. Yeah, I. this one is uh, the last one on one of their Peel sessions that they did. Um, it is kind of, it's the last track, or, it, the last track on that record as well. Um. So I feel like unless you're really sitting for the whole thing, most people aren't going to like run to it, but it's so good. It's so cool. As with most like and my blade Valentine B sides, like there's a lot of sleepers. This is totally a sleeper. I'm so glad you said that because this is probably my favorite song by them. It's one of it to me really stands out from their catalog. In my opinion, the way the guitars, the vocals, I also feel like are a little still sleepy sounding, but a little clearer than some other tracks. I, I love this Yeah, song. isn't anything definitely feels like a band, again, not to keep going to this, but a band that's kind of has an idea of what their sound is, but hasn't totally worked out all the kinks. But you have the bendy guitars, you have kind of like the pop-oriented strong songwriting in general, but it's a little bit rougher around the edges, and there are some really... Uh, charming stabs on the record in general. Next, King Cruel. Alone Omen 3 off of Man Alive. Yeah, uh, his output's, I don't know, he's been putting out music for so long that he's still making these very, very pop-oriented but really strange records. I think I like this one more than The Ooze, um, this last one, Man Alive, because Alone Omen is such a weird, like, trip-hop uh hit i also love that he like puts out these records essentially with like he does a long youtube video of him performing all these with just him and a like an acoustic guitar with like a bunch of weird video editing but yeah his music is always surprising and weird even though it's uh very much like a well-produced project that's always been had like a good amount of industry behind it it doesn't mean that he's just do anything that's like safe. Take a ticket, take the train to the end of the line. See where you can go. Spend it, it's plastic, no do or die. 
Definitely not least because this is one of my favorite albums of 2020, I think is when this came out, or 2019, but it was like top three for me. Juliet is the album by N Attendant Anna, a great French band, and the song In and Out. This band also signed to the great Chicago label Trouble in Mind Records, who never ever put out a bad record i'm always so impressed with the artists on their roster this is one of them yeah um i don't really have a ton to say about this one i it's like really really good like jangly pop for lack of a better term like the it's weird because the like one the bass is really a lot more busy i play bass in another band and there are some people who are like oh man i really wish i had the like agency to not agency, like, I don't have the, like, <laughs> I'm not allowed to do it, but they're just, like, the bass parts are really cool and weird and interesting. Yeah. Um, within the context of really, really well-written, like, really, really catchy pop music. Dave, wow, so cool talking to you about Sheer, the brand new album from Gentle Heat, everyone. It's out on Flesh and Bone Records. What's next for the band? Hitting the road, playing some gigs in support of the album? Yeah, literally that. Um, we are doing our like formal release show at the Hideout on May 19th, and then we're going to be touring to the east coast and then back we're going through like north carolina we're playing a couple days with this band called truth club that i love a lot um yeah and then we're heading up the east coast with another band called pet fox it's really cool super exciting are you hitting up new york we are yeah we have that one booked nice Where, where are you playing we're playing in a spot called the broadway Awesome. Yeah, great venue. You'll you'll be treated very well there and you'll have a yes, fun Yes, I time. expect as much. I expect to be treated very well in this place, very kindly by everyone involved. <laughs> you will. Some New York hospitality, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I think it's known for is hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're looking forward to cool. it. Cool. Well, Dave, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a good time. We're going to play one more track before we go. It's the last track on Sheer. This is called Dull. Again, head to gentleheat.bandcamp.com and catch the band on tour this month. Is it- 